Hey Coastal, my name is Gene Cornett. I am the lead campus pastor here at Bethany Place in Richmond. For more than a year, I've been praying and seeking God about his direction for us here at Bethany Place relative to a relationship with Coastal. And I'm encouraged about several aspects of that. I've been moved by the joy and the humility I sense in your leaders. I'm hopeful about the intentional training for our leaders. I'm encouraged by the clear and direct paths I see for volunteer engagement for our members here. I'm excited to be a part of a clear strategy to connect, grow, serve, and multiply. And I'm encouraged about just relational partners for us here at Bethany Place. So for all of these reasons, we're excited about the future and we look forward to partnering with you for the sake of the gospel here in Richmond. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. We've been super excited to officially announce to you guys this morning that we have adopted Bethany Place Church in uh, Richmond uh, to be Coastal Richmond. Guys, we are so excited to have a campus of Coastal in the Richmond area. Uh, you got to hear from Pastor Gene, who is gonna be the pastor there. He's been serving there for a long time. He's staying on as the lead campus pastor, an incredible man I've gotten to meet already. Uh, and just wanted to share a few things for you as we've adopted uh, this as our next campus of Coastal in Richmond. Bethany Place is debt-free. Uh, they have a newly renovated facility, as you saw in the video, a beautiful, large facility, a great opportunity for the gospel in the Richmond area. They have resourcing that is going to be very helpful for us in terms of the adoption process. But most of all, first and foremost, we are so excited because we think this is an excellent opportunity for us to continue to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ in the Richmond area. So we're super excited about that. Um, and yeah, we're excited about that news. Hey, before we jump into the Word this morning, there's one other thing that I wanted to do this morning. I wanted to take a moment and acknowledge Veterans Day yesterday. So I uh, just wanted to take a moment to honor those who have served and to have a word of prayer. So how about this? Let me embarrass some folks for a minute. If you are a veteran or you're currently serving in our armed forces, would you just raise your hand so we can honor you? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you so much for your sacrifice and for your service. We are incredibly grateful for you. And so I just wanted to take a moment now to pray and ask for God's blessing on those who have served and are serving and ask for God's blessing on our nation. So how about we pray? Father in heaven, I wanna thank you for everyone that just raised their hand. Father, thank you for those who made that sacrifice, Father, who selflessly sacrificed in order to serve us and serve our nation. I wanna thank you, Lord, for those who are currently serving in our armed forces and for all of our veterans, Father. Thank you for their, their sacrifice and for their selflessness. Father, I wanna lift up our nation as this is a chaotic time in the life of our world and in the life of our nation. And Lord, it becomes increasingly evident every single day how much we need you. As we just sang, Lord, how we need you. God, our nation has fallen so far from our foundation in your word as we're studying this morning. And I pray, Lord, for a revival. Lord, I pray that, that we would come as a nation and, and return to you and that we would turn to Christ. Father, I pray for our leaders, Lord. I pray that they would fear you because your word says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Father, I pray that uh, you would lead us and guide us, and I pray for your blessing upon our nation so that we can continue to spread the gospel. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy to be here uh, and to worship you freely today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 119. You got your Bibles? Turn with me to Psalm 119. We are continuing this sermon series where in the month of November, we're looking at different passages from Psalm 119, talking about walking in the word of God. So this week, we're going to look at the second stanza, verses 9 through 16, and I've titled the sermon this morning, Treasuring God's Word. Treasuring God's Word. Now, I, one thing about me, I love books in general, but in particular, I love Bibles. I've got a lot of Bibles. You go to my office over here, you can look at it. I've got a whole shelf that's just Bibles, different translations, different kinds of study Bibles. I just love Bibles. But this one's my favorite. All right, this is my favorite Bible. This is the one that was given to me as a gift by Coastal when I was ordained back in February of 2020. Uh, it was, comes from Paul's Leather Company, to give a shout out. Um, and it's engraved right here, Pastor Nate Weiss. Uh, it was given to me and I was ordained. It's very special to me. I love this Bible. I preach from it every Sunday. So it is a treasure to me. But when I'm talking about treasuring God's word, I'm not talking about necessarily treasuring the, the physical object, the leather and the pages and the ink. I'm talking about the message. I'm talking about what God has revealed to us, what God has shown us. I wanna show you this morning that part of the, what it means to be a follower of Christ is to treasure and to adore God. And the way that we do that is by treasuring and adoring what he has told us in his word. What I want to show you this morning is that as, as followers of Christ, we should love the word of God because we love the God of the word. So I've, here's the roadmap for this morning. First, I want to show you what God's word does in our lives, that God's word is the pathway to purity, to holiness in our lives. But second, I want to show you what it looks like practically for us to treasure the word of God. And so for your main point this morning, for the main point, I usually come up with it on my own, but I liked what this one commentator put as the main point of this paragraph so much that I stole his. So this is what Alan Ross wrote. Because the word of God is the means by which the faithful maintain purity in life, they desire to learn more from God and enjoy meditating in his word. With that in mind, let's study this text together. Psalm 119, we're gonna look at verses nine through 16 this morning. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word." So the first thing we see in this text is this. Treasuring God's word is the path to purity. Treasuring God's word is the path to purity. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Now, what comes to your mind when you hear that term pure or purity? Maybe you think about like a Brita filter or something or the thing in your fridge that you use if you have the little water thingy where it purifies the water by removing the impurities, the things that are unclean, so that the water is pure. Maybe you went to youth group in the 90s 
and you've still got your purity ring somewhere that you can pull out. When we think of purity, there's different ideas that can come to our mind. But in Scripture, this is a moral category. It speaks of sin and righteousness. To be pure before God means to be rightly related to God and living in accordance with his word. God has called us to purity. But here's the problem. Scripture teaches that because we are sinners by nature, all of us are by default impure. Another word the scripture uses is that we're unclean. We have sinned against God, and for that reason, we cannot enter into his presence and fellowship with him and have a relationship with him because of our sin. But God loved us so much that he did something about it. He entered into this world in the person of Jesus Christ that he might purify us. This is what Titus 2.14 says, that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and what? And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Through the gospel, God makes us pure and that Jesus Christ bears the penalty for our sins and rises from the grave three days later so that when we turn away from our sins and we trust in Christ and receive him into our life as Lord and Savior, we now stand before God clean and pure in his sight. And once we receive the gospel and Jesus transforms our lives, we begin this lifelong process where God purifies us and is cleansing us and is making us more like his son. You see, the gospel is not clean yourself up so that you can come to God. The gospel is that God makes us clean, that we come to him as we are, and God begins this process of cleansing and changing and transforming us. With this in mind, this framework in mind, let's talk about verse nine. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How can a young man, he singles out youth here. He singles out those who are young. The psalmist knew that there are particular temptations that come with young age. And because of that, he wanted to give counsel on how to remain on the path to purity. And how do you do it, he says? By guarding it according to your word. A life lived in submission to the word of God is the path to purity. Think about it like this. How many of you guys like to go bowling? Anybody? A couple of you guys. I like it, but I'm bad at it. So what makes bowling more fun for me are those little bumpers that go up on the sides, you know, that keep the ball from going in the gutter. That way I know I'm at least, you know, going to get one of those pins down. Uh, So I like those things. Think about the word of God in your life as kind of like those side bumpers on the path to purity. It is the word of God living in accordance with the word of God that keeps us on the right track that keeps us on the right path, guarding our lives according to God's word. Jesus himself knew that it was through the truth of God's word that we are purified, that we are sanctified. John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? This principle applies to all of us regardless of age. Friends, for all of us, our way is kept pure by guarding it according to the word of God. And let me put that differently and perhaps more bluntly. You will not make progress in your Christian life apart from a commitment and a treasuring of the word of God. 
You won't. You will not make progress in your Christian life apart from the word of God. God's word is the truth that he uses to sanctify us and make us like his son. But I want to take a minute here and make application specifically to the young people in this room, because that's what this verse does. It says, how can a young man, also young women, you're not let off the hook, uh, make his way pure? I'll let you decide if you belong in the young category. Uh, I won't spell it out for you. There are particular temptations that come with youth, aren't there? Particular temptations. To the young people in this room, you are being bombarded with temptation from all sides, whether it be at school, whether it be peer pressure from your friends, whether it be through social media, whether it be through TV, video games, music, entertainment, whatever else it might be. And this is the essence of that temptation. The world wants you to believe that a life of sin will be more satisfying than a life with Christ. That's the lie that the world is desperately trying to get you to buy into. They want you to believe the lie that indulging your flesh in sexual sin and pornography and things like that is going to bring you more satisfaction than Christ. They want you to believe that drinking and partying and doing all of these things are going to bring you more joy than a life lived in the presence of God. Listen, don't believe that lie. Treasure God's word and remain on the path of purity. Let me encourage you in this. Let me show you a few ways that you can do this. First of all, you've got to, from a young age, cultivate a love for the word of God. Cultivate a love for the word of God, for the truth of God's word. Make it a regular discipline in your life to read the word. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. Like, please, we've got a stack of them over on that table over there. Please don't leave here without a Bible today. We'd love for you to have one. But get involved in the local church. Not only on Sunday mornings, but to those who are young, we've got a student ministry that meets every Sunday night from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Sunday nights, 5 to 6.30, middle and high school students right here. We have an awesome program, man, where you can grow together with other students in your knowledge of the word of God. We'd love for you to get involved in that. But let me give an application point here to the parents. To parents, model a love for the word of God in your home. Pastor Sean likes to say this phrase all the time. More is often caught than taught in the home. More is often caught than taught. Let your kids um, find you reading the Bible. Leave that example. Read the scripture with your kids. Memorize scripture with them as something that you do together. Even though our kids are super young, we're trying to kind of instill this. Every time I get in the car with Hannah and Leah and they're like four and two, I'm like, all right, let's work on the Lord's prayer. We're working on it. Like our father in heaven, our father in heaven. And like, we're working on it. And Leah can't even say the words and they don't even know what the words mean yet, but that's okay. We're trying to get God's word into their little hearts and minds and trust that the Lord will use that. Leave a legacy in your home of love for the word of God. But as we continue in this text, we see a few more ways that God's word leads us on the path of purity. Let's look at verse 10 together. The psalmist says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I love that second half. Let me not wander is his prayer. Reminds me of one of my favorite hymns. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. 
The reality of our sinful flesh is that left to ourselves, we will wander. If we shift into neutral, we're going to roll towards sin. We have to be intentional to pursue holiness. But even as we do that, we understand that we need God, that we are dependent on God's preservation. With my whole heart, I seek you. Lord, let me not wander. But next we do so with dependence on God's teaching. Let's skip verse 11. We're going to circle back to it. Let's go to verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. So first it's an exclamation of praise. Blessed are you, O Lord. But then a request. Teach me your statutes. He's crying out for God himself to teach him, to be his teacher. This shows us that we need to read the word with this kind of humble teachability. This heart posture that says, I don't know everything. And I need you, God, to teach me how to live. It kind of reminded me as I was reflecting on that, of this reality. And you guys in this room are a little bit older. I think you can relate to this. When you're 16, your parents are so stupid. Anybody? (laughs) When you're 16, you're like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And then every year for the rest of your life, as you get older and older, your parents just get smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter, don't they? Because we didn't, when we were young, have that kind of humble teachability. We thought we knew everything. But we need to come to the word of God with that kind of humble teachability that says, God, I don't know anything. And I need you to teach me how to live from your word. Show me, Lord, teach me your statutes that I can follow you. So dependence on God's preservation, dependence on God's teaching, and then finally declaring God's truth. Verse 13, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. Those who have guarded their way according to God's word are pursuing this path of purity, they are regularly declaring God's truth with their mouth. Whether that be in evangelism, as we seek to declare God's truth to the lost of the gospel. Whether that be in discipleship, as we're seeking to help believers grow in their faith by declaring God's truth. Whether that be in praise, as we're praising God by declaring the truth of who he is and what he's done. So to recap, we've seen that treasuring God's word is the path to purity and that we grow in holiness as we treasure God's word. So for the rest of the sermon, I want to show us how do we do this? How do we treasure God's word? This happens as we intentionally internalize and treasure the word of God. And I want to give you three ways that we do that. We treasure God's word by, first of all, memorizing scripture by memorizing scripture. I love verse 11. I printed it on your bulletin. Consider verse 11 with me. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That I might not sin against you. And when it says I've stored up your word, some translations say I have treasured your word in my heart. The idea here is valuing something so much that we carefully hide it and protect it so that we can use it when it's needed. But notice where the word is treasured, in my heart. Something that we need to understand, because I think we miss this when we read this through our own lens. You see, in our minds, the mind refers to the intellect, the thinking, whereas the heart refers to the emotions, 
But in scripture, the heart is much more holistic than that. When the Bible says heart, it refers to the entirety of the inner person. It includes the intellect. It includes the emotions. It includes the will, our capacity for making decisions. So when scripture says heart, it means everything, our soul, all of us, our whole being. So when it says, I have stored up your word in my heart, it means that your word has become a part of me, that I'm storing it up in my very soul, in the core of who I am. The purpose of treasuring God's word is not just to retain information, but life transformation. That's what we've got to understand. But why, according to verse 11, do we do this? Why do we memorize scripture, storing it up in our heart? That I might not sin against you. I want you to think of memorizing scripture as like an immune system for your soul. It's an immune system for your soul that does battle with the sin in our life. Spurgeon put it this way, when the word is hidden in the heart, the life shall be hidden from sin. So let me give you a few ways of application here. How can we do this? First of all, cultivate the discipline in your life of memorizing scripture. Cultivate the discipline in your life of memorizing scripture. For some strange reason in the church, we get this with kids, but not with adults. We get this with kids, don't we? We give kids memory verses, and we should. We give kids memory verses. The problem is we should also give adults memory verses, right? We all need this discipline in our life. It's like once the Awana badges stop coming or whatever, like we quit doing this, but we need to keep doing this. This is important. We need to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. It is not a coincidence that the godliest people I know have memorized a lot of scripture. And when you talk to them, it just oozes out of them in conversation. Let's be intentional about this, making it a discipline in our lives of memorizing scripture. And why do we do it? We memorize scripture to fight sin. That I might not sin against you is the second half of the verse. This is how we go on the offense against our sin. You see, we're often playing defense when it comes to temptation and sin in our lives. Like, man, I'm tempted and I really hope I don't do it. But this is the way that we go on offense. Do you know that in the passage on spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter six, what is the only offensive weapon? The word of God. The word of God, which is the sword of the, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Donald Whitney, in his classic book on the spiritual discipline, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, you ought to read it. It's great. But in this book, I looked back this week at his section on memorizing scripture. He had a great metaphor that he used. He said, think about scripture that you memorize as like an armory in your heart that the Holy Spirit can access in moments of temptation. And he said, how bad would it be if Satan is tempting you to sin and the Holy Spirit goes to the armory of your heart to find a scripture that deals with that sin and all he can find is a John three sixteen. right? We memorize scripture and the scripture that we memorized are like weapons in our heart that the spirit can use in the moment to fight against sin in our life. Let me give you a few examples of how this can be true. I want you to think about it right now. Don't say it out loud. That would get awkward. But think about in your mind, whatever particular sin or temptation that you wrestle with. And what we can do is we memorize scripture to help us fight, whatever that might be. Let me give you a few examples. Let's say it's anger. You have a temptation toward anger, getting angry and blowing up. You should memorize James 1, 19 and 20. 
Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So you memorize that verse, you go to work tomorrow morning, your boss is being a jerk, and you're about to, I'm going to tell him how it is, and then the Holy Spirit just taps you on the shoulder. Hey, Nate. Yes, Holy Spirit. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And you go, oh, yeah. All right. That's what it looks like. We memorize scripture, we hide it in our heart, and God uses that in those moments of temptation to help us fight. Let's give you a couple of more examples. Let's say that it's worry and anxiety that, that disregards uh, trust in God's provision. What can we do in those moments? What about Philippians 4, 6, and 7? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I cannot tell you how many times I've quoted those verses to myself. Memorize it. But what about lust? You know, we could come up with verses that talk about how you ought not to do it and that kind of thing, and that is certainly helpful. But what about a promise from the Word of God that is so much better than what we're tempted to? In that moment when it's late at night and you're tempted to click that button on your computer, quote to yourself Matthew 5, 8, which says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And tell yourself, isn't that so much better? than anything this world has to offer. Isn't that so much better than indulging my flesh is seeing God? Because that is the promise for those who are pure in heart. Well, how about one more example? Let's say there's somebody you're struggling to forgive. Someone you're struggling with bitterness and resentment in your heart toward. You ought to memorize what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 30, 43 through 44. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do you see how this works? We use the sword of the spirit to go to battle against our sin. We memorize these scriptures that are going to be necessary for us in the moment of temptation. And when the temptation comes, the spirit goes to the armory of our hearts and pulls out the weapon that he needs. So memorizing scripture but next is meditating on Scripture. Meditating on Scripture. Verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Now, when you hear that word meditate, I hope you don't think of something weird, right? Like, I'm not talking about any Eastern mysticism. I'm not talking about anything like that. Uh, biblically speaking, meditation just means to think deeply about something, to dwell on something in your mind, to ponder it. Here's where it's different from Eastern mysticism. It's not emptying your mind, it's filling it. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with the truth of God's word. Meditation happens when you take a verse of scripture or a section of scripture or even a biblical concept and we deeply ponder and savor that truth in our minds. You know, you guys have probably been wondering, what is Nate doing with all this stuff? He brought an armful of stuff up here. I'm not a big object lesson guy. And Nathan gave me this. I guess I'll just do this way. I can figure out how to get this to work. I'm not usually a big object lesson guy, but I think this is helpful. I really don't want to spill that. That's really hot. Anybody like to drink tea? A couple of you. One of you. Okay, so only one person in the room likes tea. Okay. Um, guys, we like to drink tea. How do you make tea? 
If I were to say, guys, you know what? Uh, I've been preaching. This is my end of the second sermon. My throat's starting to get a little scratchy. I need some tea. So I'm going to make a cup of tea. If I just went like this. All right, it's ready. (laughs) Would you think that would be very effective and very helpful? My thing is, that's often how we read our Bibles. We go to the Word of God. We're like, all right. Oh, verse of the day. Boop. Have a nice day, God. Instead, that is when we read quickly. But this is what it looks like when we meditate on Scripture. We let it steep. We let it really get in there. And so it begins to change the color of our hearts and our lives. I learned this time to do two tea bags, by the way. The first service, I did one, and it didn't really make a difference. <laughs> so I just told the first service, I said, this is why sometimes you got to meditate on two verses. Um, but here's the point. Meditating on Scripture means pondering, thinking deeply, treasuring God's Word in your heart and mind so that it begins to change the color of your heart. Let me give you a few quotes on the importance of meditation because here's the deal. Of all of the spiritual disciplines, I think that this is the one that's most tragically missing far too often. There's a great book on this called God's Battle Plan for the Mind on Meditation, written by a guy named David Saxton, not to be confused with the other great theologian, Daniel Sexton. Uh, His name is David Saxton. Uh, This is how it goes. Meditating and spending time with the Lord is like a good meal. It takes time to prepare and time to enjoy. Many Christian devotions resemble a person who is wolfing down a burger while driving on the freeway. However, our time with the Lord should look more like a couple who enjoy each aspect of a seven-course dinner. One of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, wrote a lot of good things about meditation, and this is what he said. The reason we come away so cold from the reading of the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Let me give you some reasons why this is important. First, this is important because of God's calling. This is what God has called us to do As it says in Psalm 1, the very beginning of the Psalms, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night, day and night, a constant reality of meditating and pondering the truth of God. Another reason why scripture meditation is important is because it helps us to internalize the truth. Psalm 119.99, I love this verse. At first glance, it looks arrogant, but it's making an important point. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for my testimonies are my meditation. Your testimonies are my meditation. He's saying, I know more than all my teachers. Why? Because I'm smarter than them? No, because I've meditated on your word. I've taken it into my heart. Again, Watson says, meditation has a transforming power in it. The hearing of the word may affect us, but the meditating upon it transforms us. Meditation stamps the impression of divine truths upon our hearts. Meditation also serves to bridge the gap between Bible intake and prayer. As I read the word, I meditate on what it means, and that drives me to pray in response. So how do we do this practically? First of all, quite obviously, choose a passage. It can be something that God has laid on your heart, something relevant to your situation. It could be what you're already reading in your devotions that morning. Choose a passage. 
Second, set aside time after you've read it to think and ponder carefully and intentionally about what the passage means and how it applies to your life and your situation. There was a professor at Dallas Seminary who used to famously give this assignment where he'd give the students one verse, Acts 1.8, and he'd say, I want you to come back with 25 observations about this one verse. And then come back the next week, okay, 25 more, and keep going. Some of you guys are looking at me with big eyes, like there's no way I could do that. But once you start, you'll realize that the word of God is such a rich and deep and inexhaustible well that you could fill up a whole library with observations on Acts 1.8 or any other verse. So we do that. And then finally, we respond with prayer. We pray thanking God for the truth. Maybe we pray of repentance when we realize we've fallen short, asking for help. We pray. So let's do this together, shall we? Let's do a quick meditation just to show you what this looks like and how this works in practice. I'm taking one from my own devotional time. So I've made the choice to take Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. Great paragraph to start the book of Ephesians. I'm memorizing it, and I'm slowly, phrase by phrase, every morning, meditating my way through this text. So let's look at verse 7, which I just finished meditating on this morning. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Leave the verse on the screen up there for me for a couple minutes. If I were to meditate on this verse, first of all, we have to ask what it means. In context, this is a paragraph of Paul unpacking all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Now he's talking about what we have through the person and work of Jesus. So when he says, in him, he's referring to Jesus, in Christ, we have redemption. You can meditate on that word redemption. What does that mean? Maybe you can look it up and see that in Scripture, it refers to a slave whose freedom had been purchased. So though we were in bondage to sin and Satan, we have been purchased. How? Through his blood, through his sacrificial death, our redemption has been purchased. Our trespasses have been forgiven, the second phrase says. What's a trespass? You know the sign, do not trespass. There's a boundary that has been established that it would be wrong for us to cross. You can go to jail or in Gloucester, you can get shot. (laughs) We have trespassed in God's world. We have sinned against God. We have crossed his boundaries, but those have been forgiven in Christ according to the riches of his grace. You can meditate on how rich the grace of God is. Don't you see that you could spend all day thinking about that one verse and that every verse of the Bible can do the same thing in your life? This is what it means to meditate on Scripture. It's the difference between uh, you open up your app, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Great, have a nice day, God. And taking a few minutes to meditate on it and let it seep into our hearts and minds. So let me encourage you to make that a discipline in your life because here's why. We don't just want to get into the word. We want the word to get into us. That's why we meditate on scripture. Last point this morning, and we'll close with this, that the ultimate goal of all of this is delighting in scripture. Delighting in scripture. Verse 14 says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. That's the goal to love the word of God so much that we'd prefer our time with him to winning the lottery. What about verse 16? I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
a commitment. I will delight in your statutes. Later in Psalm 119, in verse 103, it says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. God's word ought to be sweeter to you than a slice of pumpkin pie will be in a couple of weeks. For those of you guys that don't like sweets, okay, here's one for you. God's word ought to be more savory and delicious to you than a medium rare ribeye. Hmm. Right? God's word should be something that is so satisfying to us, something that we delight in. How do we do this? I've been helped by this quote from Matt Chandler over the years. He says, find the things that stir your affections for Christ and saturate your life in them. Find the things that rob you of that affection and walk away from them. That's the Christian life as easy as I can explain it to you. We delight in the word of God by finding the things that increase our delight and affections for Christ and we saturate our life in them. We love the word of God because we love the God of the word. So as the worship team comes and as the prayer team comes, I've got one more illustration for you, one more thought I'd like to leave you with, one more object lesson. Why did I bring this Tom's shoebox up here for the sermon this morning? Here's why. This is not a box of shoes. Uh, This is my special things box. Uh, Somebody told me after the first service, as you get older, you're going to have to get a bigger box. I said, probably. But I keep things that have sentimental value to me in this box. I've got letters and cards from Megan in this box. I've got letters from my dad. Uh, I've got a copy of my first band CD in this box. Um, I've got all kinds of stuff in here. Uh, I have letters in here. She probably didn't know I was going to share this, might be embarrassed, whatever. When I went to Zimbabwe uh, in a mission trip for two weeks, Megan and I were engaged. She wrote me a letter for every day I was gone. I have all of those letters here in this box. So this box has a lot of meaning to me. It's very valuable to me. To anyone else in this room, this box is worthless, if not weird. (laughs) But why is this box so valuable to me? Is it because of the quality of the cardboard that's already got little rips in it? Is it because of the notebook paper and the ink from the pen? Is it because of the inherent value of the things? No, it's it's valuable to me because of who it's from and how much I love them. That's what gives it value. I want you to understand something. Why as Christians are we to love the word of God? Why do we talk so much about reading your Bible? Why do we preach the Bible? Why so much Bible? I've already said it, but I'll say it again. We love the word of God because we love the God of the word. And in the same way that a love letter from your spouse is something you wouldn't take for a million dollars, in the same way, when our hearts have been so captured by Christ, we wouldn't take this word for a million dollars. It's sweeter in our mouth than honey. It means more to us than all riches when our hearts have truly been captured by Christ. So why should we delight in scripture? Why should we love the word of God? Because we love the God of the word. And it's my heart and my hope that we would be a church whose hearts have been so captured by Christ, whose lives, whose hearts, whose minds are so saturated with the word of God that we can be truly effective in his service and for his kingdom and for his glory like he has called us to. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we love you and we love your word. We love your word because it comes to us from you. I pray, Lord, that it would be our testimony, that we would meditate on your word all the day long. 
Forgive us, Lord, for letting our Bibles collect dust. Lord, help us to come to your word with a humble dependence upon you, that you would show us from your word how you would have us live and honor you. And we look forward to the day, Father, when we see you face to face. We love you and give you all the glory. For We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.